0: Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about my game from Gen Con, and I'm going to take a bunch of calls. I'm going to do the calls first, <laughs> because depending on how long that takes will dictate how long I yammer on about the Gen Con games. And so I will say a couple things up front. One is that if you are a part of my Patreon on the adventurer level, uh, all these adventures I ran at Gen Con were super successful, so they're all going to be made available to you. Uh, Hopefully this month, but if not this month, then over the course of the next six weeks or so, just I'm, I'm tightening them up now, just to kind of make sure they are playable by other people and not just in my twisted head. Also, speaking of playing games, I played a game. I, I'm not normally a player. I, I played in a game run by Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I finally got to try Barbarians of Lamoria. It was super super fun. I look forward to playing more of it. Uh, he, he did a great job running it. Great group. Uh, Spez Baby and Dark Fluid of the Audio Dungeon were there, as well as Arlen Walker from Live from Pelham's Wasteland. Super game, great group of players. So, yeah, we had a good time. And, you know, we won, kind of. So (laughs) that's always important, I think. What else? Oh, yeah. Uh, If you're not aware of the Decahedron podcast, I'm sure you are. They've called in here several times. Joe has and uh, put links. Uh, I've been invited to be on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about... Kind of how when we're building a campaign, how the setting and the rule sets and all the stuff uh, helps create the story and where that comes from. So it should be really interesting. Um, I really like Joe's take on things. Uh, It seems like a little different than mine, but I always think that when I start digging in and talking to people that 99% of gamers really all do the same thing. We just use different words to explain it. (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to take some calls first. The first call up is from John Allen Large from the Red Dice Diaries. Let's see what they have to say.
1: Hi there, it's John here again from the Red Dice Diaries. Just been listening to our episode Dungeon and Chainmail Fantasy Combat. Thank you very much for recommending greyelf.com and their Age of Conan and complete chainmail books. I'll give those a look. I think I've actually got a PDF of the original chainmail from DriveThru knocking around somewhere on my vast hard drive. So I'll have to dig that out and give it a look. But again, thanks for the suggestions
0: on the episode. I very much enjoyed it. Keep up the good work and I'll catch you soon. So for those who don't know, John has had a podcast, also a YouTube channel for quite a long time. I believe also a blog. I will say that I don't read as many blogs. so I'm not 100% sure, but that could be the case. And if it is, I will list all of that in the show notes. They have were kind of on a hiatus for a little while and I was pleasantly surprised to see one pop up in my feed, maybe four weeks ago. So I'm excited that John's back podcasting, uh, talking about a lot of different things. Uh, the last ones that I listened to, they were going through some new supplements from limitations of flame princess. So if that kind of thing interests you, go ahead and check them out.
2: Daniel, it's Michael Chicago is listening to your July 23rd episode on combining uh, alternative combat and chain mail. I haven't listened to the Collins yet, so there may be more coming. Um, that's really fascinating that, you know, went and smooshed those things together and i think there's really kind of you know you asked what i think i think it's cool i think it is essentially the same thing that chainmail did for odnd and that is to really abstract combat or potentially abstract combat unless you go to man-to-man or fantasy which i guess fantasy is really kind of abstract too since you've got the one hit one kill possibility it's really man-to-man that seems to get into in-depth blows and that kind of reflects, I think, a trend that you saw. You you mentioned it, how uh, Greyhawk and, and other uh, supplements and then the other versions of the game tended to nerf the fighter. It also extended combat. You know, com- combat, and I heard this phrase, com- D&D combat as a sport versus D&D combat as combat. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, you know. It, it feels to me, at least when I play od with Chainmail, that when you're throwing a lot of dice and you're, you've got the, the 1 to 20 and, and so on, it really does abstract things. And od combat, I think using that alternative combat with the multiple throws, is again an abstraction. One that does favor the fighter because the fighter's able to get in there and wail away, whereas the cleric, you know, is more interested in their prayers and their gods, and the magic user is just trying to stay alive with the frying pan clutching his hands. He swings away at the compliment that's coming after him. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting because you know you look at uh, Holmes and, and AD&D, and it very much, you know, focused more on not quite a blow by blow. damn near to you know further additions going into the specific blow by blow um i i like abstracting combat i'm i'm you know for dnd i'm less about the combat more about what happens after the combat you know or what complications have arisen because now you know your, your fighter is paralyzed they faced the Karen crawler and and now you're in a dungeon. You have no idea how long your fighter is going to be out. Um, Just stuff like that. I I think that's the interesting part to me now now other people, they want that blow by blow and that, you know, and that may be what Gary discovered as he took these versions of the game and, and, you know, played around with it and whatnot, you know, you went less from a war game into more of the role playing where the, you know, single step, combat as a sport mattered because people express their characters through the combat and through all the cool things that they can do. Um, totally agree with anything you can do to make the fighter cool it is an awesome thing. And um, yeah, I, you know, something to consider. Anyway, a very cool episode. I'm going to listen to your comments now, so there may be another comment coming later. All right, game on.
0: So that was Michael, or Chicago Wiz, from the Chicago Wiz blog. And also the Dungeon Master Handbook podcast. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to me. You know, It's it's actually kind of funny. What I've heard was, and this is coming from like when I first started looking at mechanics and being interested in the math of it again, um, you know, of coming back into playing as an adult. I was playing 5th edition, and we heard a lot of things about bounded accuracy and the way the hit points were designed. And I guess based on player surveys or what they imagine people want, they decided that people would rather hit a lot and not have the game be so swingy so that basically it's nearly impossible to take something out with one hit but it's also nearly impossible to die from one hit and i guess in order to keep balance obviously you can't have the player characters taking stuff out in one hit and the player characters surviving many hits you know i guess i don't know i don't do that math there but i didn't i don't find that that's as pleasing for me My favorite, favorite stories in D&D are when you one hit a monster or something happens, even if it happens to a player character, you know, that, man, we were doing so well. We turned around the corner and that basilisk caught us by surprise. And, you know, immediately our our frontline fighter got turned to stone. And then we're like throwing, you know, arrows at this thing with our eyes closed at a penalty to try to kill it before it, you know, eats the the fighter, (laughs) you know, the fighter's stone body because maybe we can drag them back and bring them back. That's the kind of stuff, or killing, like recently, I've I probably said this many times now, you know, when the fighter used their magic hand axe and threw it at the manacore as it swooped down, at, or it was a wyvern, actually, as it swooped down at them and just rolled so well, they killed the wyvern in mid-flight. Like, you just can't do that, really, and to my understanding, in 5e, certainly. I'm not sure about 3rd edition or Pathfinder, maybe, because I know there was, like, certain ways to build characters, but... I love that. I love that that can happen. And it is a risk that your player character can also go down. But the way I've been developing the game, the risk to the player character really is less and less as they get at higher levels. Once you're third or fourth level, you're pretty sturdy. So it's interesting. I'll see how this um, continues to play out. Uh, I'm very excited about messing with stuff. I I love messing with the systems. I recently picked up Tunnels and Trolls uh, after a million people telling me to... (laughs) To try it, So I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm not going to change. I like what I'm doing, but one thing that does, and I thought of it only because you, what you said there is, because everybody at table rolls their dice at the same time, combat really is just that, right? All the PC side rolls and all the DM side rolls all at once. You compare the numbers and whichever side has the highest number wins, basically. <laughs> and then they do damage to the other side. So that's kind of how you do it. You're not this individual character playing out an individual move. It's like, this is the group's attack. And I was curious, uh, I was thinking about this this morning as I was waiting to have my car repaired, you know, wh- could I incorporate that? Could I switch abstract? Well, we look and we go, you know what, your group is going to be considered the average of what you are. So if you got several people with swords, somebody with a mace, and then one guy's got a polearm, but one guy's got a dagger, well, you're all heavy foot. And your your entire party is heavy foot. So I can very easily go, everybody just roll dice. And then look at them. So I'm thinking about maybe trying that. That might get too abstracted for me. So <laughs> I'm probably not going to go that way. But it's definitely interesting to look at it. Because for me, and it's funny because so much of my podcast is about talking about combat. So it might make seem like I'm uh, obsessed with combat. But I've said many times before, and I'll say it again, that combat isn't the least interesting part of the game for me generally. I love the interacting with the world. I love the narrative. I love being, you know, in there and figuring out puzzles I want the combats to be fast and furious and done. I don't want them to drag. I don't care about, you know, doing special stunts and stuff in combat, you know, as a norm, obviously. Sometimes when you're playing DCC, though, you got to dive into it. Anyways, thanks so much for calling. Uh, if you guys do not already follow Michael, I'll put all of their information in the show notes. And we got a whole bunch of calls from somebody who never calls. No. <laughs> from the the best anchor caller. Sorry, everybody else. <laughs> in the whole world. Jason Connelly, Nerds RPG Varietycast. Uh, Jason's made several calls over the last two weeks. I will play them. I may break in as we go. Uh, just in case you don't know this, which is kind of random, because I'm not sure what other people do. I don't listen to any of the calls until I play them and then immediately respond to them. So I don't know uh, the order they come in. I'm just going to play them. If, if I feel like I want to step in, I'll say something. If I think it's kind of something I can say at the end, I'll do that. So I guess it'll be a surprise to all of us.
1: Hey Daniel, Jason here. Have a great time at Gen Con. I wish I was going there with you. Who knows? Maybe in a future year, you know. If you get a chance, stop by and see the Nations and Cannons guys. Highly recommend it. They're doing great work. So Dungeon, Dungeon was also a very early game for me. I still have my copy. I'd have to go look at it. The box is falling apart, and I'd have I could go and see what year. It's not a first printing of Dungeon. You know, it's a later printing, but. You know, I got it in the early 80s. Uh, and we bought the brand new version of it for my son. Well, at the time it was a new version of it, maybe 10 years ago. The version that has the Rogue in there. And so we have that. And, and they are pretty comparable. And when we started playing that game dungeon back when I was a kid, we didn't understand the movement in that game initially. And we were rolling for every, every square, every tile, you know, every square we were rolling each one as a secret door instead of just the dotted lines of secret doors. We, it took us a while to figure that out. So the first game was not very exciting. <laughs> as far as your, uh, your Gen Con game, I think that's fascinating. And, and even taking that out of the convention, for, especially for convention games the and solo play, the idea that all the rules are on the monster card and that hit values and all that are on the monster card. I love that. And I, I definitely think that's something you could use without a problem. The only thing that would be a little bit tricky is, depending how you had your characters advance, and if you want to see your characters have mechanical advancement every level, you're only using 2d6, you, you know, so you don't have that much playroom before your character just totally overwhelms low monsters or they don't have a chance against Bigger monsters. I don't have a big problem with them not having a chance against bigger monsters. And if we go to the fiction, I mean, Conan's never going to lose to a band of brigands in the streets when he's wandering around after a a night of drinking. But that said, do do we want our heroes just to to wander in and and orcs never be able to hit them unless there's 50 of them? I don't know. Um, So that'd be my only worry, is on a 2D6 system if we're mechanically advancing every level, I think it'd be hard to model that. Of course, the way Dungeon does that is you have a hero, a superhero, and then you have the elf and the you know wizard and the thief. Um, yeah, I I think you could do it. I think I would be tempted in that case not to have hero minus one, hero minus two. I think you would just have to advance through and maybe you get other things as you go up in level. But your fighting ability would advance up when you hit hero and when you hit superhero. So maybe there's fighter, there's hero and superhero. Maybe you have three grades there. And and you could do that equivalent three grade thing for all the different classes. But I think I would just do that. I think that'd be easier. As far as the monsters fighting back, yeah, I like your 14 system. I I think that's simple and elegant and it works um, and it keeps you from having charts. So I so I think there's a lot to that. It, it might not make the most sense that it works that way, but but I think it's it's simple enough that it would you, you know work. It depends how much mechanical complexity you want. I, personally, I like the way you're doing chainmail, where you use all three systems. But for a convention game or for a solo game, uh, I could definitely see the advantage of doing it this way. Although that big boss fight. You know, we just talked about the Princess Bride uh, over on my show for movie night. And those sword fights, you want to have that back and forth, right? You don't want it to be a die roll and that's it. You, you, you know, you you actually want to have that parrying and back and forth. And so I think the other systems, the other combat versions give you that a little bit. But but I think it would totally work. I think for a con game, I would do your 14 system, honestly. I, I think that's easy. And I would do three tiers for... If I was doing it for the convention game, it doesn't matter because the characters aren't going to level up. But for the, so you could just print the cards as they are and be done with it, like in Dungeon. But for, if you were going to adapt it to a simple role playing game, I would do three tiers for each class. So, I don't know. What do you think? Sorry for the second call, but I wanted to clarify the original game only has four classes. There's no thief in the original game. So, sorry, I misspoke. Also, the easy button for if a character gets to fight better so you're not putting all these things on there is when that elf gets higher, then he would fight at – he would you know start as an elf, and then he could be a fighter, and then he could fight as a hero as his third tier, right? And that wizard could fight as a wizard, and then he could fight as an elf, then he could fight as a hero, right? So you, you have you, – you wouldn't have to write all these things down. They could just bounce to each other because you're using that smaller number range and maybe a magic sword lets you fight at the next level up, right? Something like that.
0: Well, there you go. It got answered. I'm going to have to jump in the middle. <laughs> There's a couple more calls from Jason, but that's a lot to unpack. Very, very cool. So number one, I did swing by nations and cannon. Very nice. Uh, they had a small booth. It took me a minute to find it. It was like hidden away, but they seemed like very nice gentlemen. They were actually talking to some people that it seemed like they were trying to make a sale. So I didn't want to like, uh, Spent too much of their time, but I took a quick look through the book. It looked kind of nice to me. It's not something that I personally am interested in running, so I did not purchase it at this moment. But it definitely seems like a pretty cool thing. I like the idea of running in historical settings, and I love and it makes sense to use the fifth edition system. I just don't want to use that. So for me, it wasn't it wasn't the thing for me. But they were very nice, and it looked like they were getting a decent amount of you know, people at their booth. So that's awesome. I love that they have a a good cause behind it. You know, they're trying to get more stories out there. So it's, it's a, it seems like a great company. And uh, if you are interested in historical stuff and you want to play stuff out and you love role-playing games, you love 5E, then it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Okay. So, uh, number two. 2D6 advancement. So as you were talking, I was kind of putting things through my head. I I love your idea of the three tiers, yes. So I think having different advancement makes sense. What's funny is the reason that I'm using it for this particular con game, which you basically hit on at the very end, is that nobody's advancing, right? They are the characters. They are. It's this character versus, you know, the captain versus... A space Imp, like that's never going to change. There's never, the captain never changes. They're always the same character. It's a game that I run at conventions. It's like a board game in that sense, right? And there's no there's no advancement. But as you were saying it, I was thinking to myself, well, if you wanted to have, uh, so basically instead of having like pluses and minuses, although you certainly could do what you're saying with the three tiers and you still could do that. I think what I would do is I would say, and this is now I'm getting inspired by <laughs> the Barbarians of the Warrior, which you just ran for us, is I would say that, If they're of equal level to you, so you're a level one and they're level one, you roll your 2d6, right? And that's the number. If you are a higher level than them, you're level two, they're level one, you roll 2d6, oh, I'm sorry, you roll 3d6, you keep the two highest dice. That's eventually your advantage, disadvantage. And the opposite is true. So if you're a first level character fighting a dragon, not only is the number crazy high, you're also going to roll (laughs) with disadvantage. So you do not want to fight a dragon when you are the first level fighter which I think tracks, you know, going on to the, the 14 system. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when we think about role playing, <laughs> I don't want to start this back up again, or maybe I do, you know, I had made a statement a while back, which caused a little bit of controversy, I think, or maybe th- uh, we'll say introspective introspective, maybe outrospective because people were talking about, <laughs> and, uh, and it's, I guess on some level it's, it's spawned, uh, a, a actual play. But basically, I had said that the reason why I like OSR games is that even a first-level party has a chance to kill a dragon, whereas in something, something like Call of Cthulhu, which is in my favorite type of game to play, you wouldn't really be able to ever kill a Shoggoth. The game's just not set up like that. Now, we've seen many first-level parties kill dragons, and many first-level parties be killed by dragons. We still haven't played out the Shoggoth yet, so we got we got we to do that for sure. But again, I think this is where we're at here. If you are at the level where you're rolling a you the way you need a 12 to kill the dragon in one hit and they need a two that tracks for me you know you should be if you're at that low level you're gonna get killed by the dragon they literally cannot not kill you you're you're going to roll your dice and if you roll double sixes they are dead but so are you and that's just the amazing you know whatever that is one and a half percent chance that you have to kill a dragon when you're just a first level nobody And that's exactly it. And and again, gear matters in these cases. So, like, you'd have your, you need a 12, they need a 2, but you've got a plus 3 swords, now you need a 9, and, you know, or you have plus 3 armor and they need a 5. I think, though, what I would likely do, and I haven't written it down exactly like this, but the more I'm thinking about it, I don't want to track armor and weapons separately, because, again, fantasy is all about abstraction. So I think if you had a, a magical weapon, which would be more common than a magical armor in The game I'm using it in, which is uh, the Unchained game, which is Sword and Sorcery. I don't think we see too much magical armor in that uh, type of genre. We see a lot of magical weapons or enchanted weapons or famous weapons, maybe a shield, right? I think that if you have a plus three sword and you're fighting the dragon, then you would need a nine and they would need a five. Like it wouldn't matter that it's a sword, not a shield. Like the plus three is just the plus three. So, yeah, so the numbers always add up to the fourteen. No matter what, so if you add, if you bring bonuses to the table, it reduces their chance to kill you. So I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, uh, let me see. I wrote. I actually wrote down notes. I love your idea of the three tiers, though. That's so perfect. It's exactly right. You know, you could have your so your your men, human, you know, normal personnel, if you want to say it. That's your then you have you've got your heroes, and then you've got your superheroes, right? And depending on what your situation is, I think again in a game like Dungeon the wizard would be considered a, a you know a normal person, like you say, and then they'd have to progress up. And maybe if you were a fighter, you'd start at hero. I'm not sure exactly how that would work, but again, that's a, that's what you'd have to look at. Or maybe everybody starts at it and, and the wizard's got to go through two levels. I'm not exactly sure, but that's it's a very cool idea. And, you know, you're mentioning it for solo play, which I really dig. I, I, I don't know if I had said that, but I kind of like that idea, right? Because you just draw this card. Like if I was creating a solo game, this is just a great way, to, great way to do it. You pull a card, you look at it, you say, "Okay, this is a dragon," and I'm a superhero, so I need a, a six to kill it, and it needs an eight to kill me. Let's dice off, you know, and then there you go, you're good to go. You know what's fun about that? Although I, I love a two D six system, I guess if you were going to do it, I would get four dice, right, of two different colors. This is assuming you're not going to do the um, advantage disadvantage thing, right? So you go, all right, so we've got two blue dice to be like a Matt Jackson, right? So two blue dice, two red dice, and then you, you're facing off as a dragon. You just shuffle, you know, shake, you roll it in your hand, you just throw all four dice on the table. That's it. That's your fight. You know, narrate out what happened. Who won, who lost, what happened, was it a draw? Very cool. So speaking of Matt Jackson, and kind of randomly, and I don't know why Jason sent me this. I can't, We were probably having a conversation about it. And <laughs> uh, he sent me over a link to the little character sheet that Matt Jackson uses for... Their solo game, which is very cool. It's on their blog. I'll put a link to that in the show notes because it's awesome. And you should check it out. And if you're not watching that solo game, you definitely should. Very, very fun stuff over there. Was so that everything? Okay, I wrote down things. Nations and cannons, 2D6 Advancement, uh, Monster. Oh, three tiers. Oh, yeah, interesting. You could also have different tiers of monsters, I suppose, too. All right, now I'm just thinking around in a circle, so I will listen to Jason's next call, and so will you.
1: Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Just calling about your collaborative D&D campaign video. Great video. Great topic. I think there's a lot to that. I, I don't know. I think it depends on your group. I don't know if I'd do that the first time you you get together as a group. I think I'd play through something, even if it's a short campaign or something or, or an adventure, together to kind of get a feel for everybody and then open it up. I think as a DM, I'd kind of want to get a little bit of a feel for everybody first. And the same thing, if you have new players, especially ones you're new to the system, you kind of want to get them a feel for the system as it exists. But that said, I, I like the idea of doing the collaborative thing. I really do. I'm not so much a fan of, I'm okay with, you walk into the tavern. What's the name of the tavern? Hey, there's a the bartender. What's his name? I'm not so much a fan of that as I am the front-loaded collaborative building. But I I can do either one in a game, but I like the idea of front-loaded building better, and then as a player, not being asked by the GM to create world during the game, if that makes sense. But I like doing it outside the game, the game sessions, that is. By the way, I'm also enjoying your RPG A Day things. I'm not calling in for RPG A Day episodes this year. I think they're a personal thing, and I like hearing their thoughts, and you don't need to hear my jibber-jabber in that, plus... I don't want to create too much noise <laughs> during this month. So anyway, great job. Keep up the great work. I hope you're enjoying Gen Con. I look forward to the stories from Gen Con 2023 when you get back.
0: So Jason's responding to a YouTube video that I did. I will put a link in the show notes, basically about building the world together with your group. I just I don't disagree with any of it. I mean, I think he's right. If If it's a brand new group, maybe you don't want to just send them out there for many reasons. One, you don't know these people. So you could have that like occasional weird player. That's going to be an issue. Um You could have people that just don't like it. And then they're, they feel like uncomfortable because they don't want to tell you they're brand new. And they're like, I don't like those. So you'll get to know people a little bit first, but also because they just might not know the system or maybe they don't have the time. Or I know for me, when I'm first playing in a game, I actually prefer pre-gens. I like for, the person running the game to give me a character so i at least feel like i've got a a feel for what that table likes to play like but what it made me think of is i just started reading tunnels and trolls and in the very very first edition the like kind of the the it's literally called first edition reprint that i'm looking at it uh it the basic game which i love i love how some games like this because star frontiers did this there was another game that did this too it had the basic game and then you once you master that you move on to the full game I'll think of what the other game is. does this too, but this must, oh, I've seen it in little like uh, hex and shit war games, but it's got the basic game. And in that part of it, you play human. Like you can't play anything else. You just play a human. It's really not all the weapons are available. It's very, very basic. Then you go to the next stage and you could play something like a Hobbit and there's more weapons and more stuff like that available to you. So, and in fact, I think that what it actually recommends is that you even just play a warrior. Like you don't even play a spellcaster. So I I agree with that. And also, you know, Hyperborea does that. Actually, I'm wondering, did third edition change that? I'm not gonna get up and look, so I'm just gonna assume it didn't. But in second edition and in first edition, there's four kind of core classes. Four yeah, four core classes. And it recommends that if you're new to the system or the players are new to just stick to those. Then once you know the system a bit, then you can play the other nineteen or whatever <laughs> classes are in it, you know? So stick with your fighter, magician, uh, thief, or I think it's yeah, I think it's thief and uh Clerk, those are the four ones and then later you can be rangers and rune gravers and you know sorcerers and stuff like that so i don't think that's bad advice i think if somebody's new to something they should try to this most simplest thing first i think that's a good way to do it now if they want to jump in you know feet first because i'm also all for i'll tell you this this goes back to gen con a little bit which i will talk about a little bit we do have one more call from jason but i've been more and more at cons running higher level adventures Because one thing I notice when I'm looking at games to play, especially OSR games, they're all first and second level. And honestly, I have no interest in playing first and second level. So if you are running at a con and you're running an OSR type game, please run high level games because I would like to play and I'm not going to play in your first level game. I just don't have an interest in that. So Jason also mentioned RPG a day. I did do something for the first day just to kind of get the ball rolling. I haven't been keeping up with it. I don't know if I will or not. I'm not really one to do the do a thing every day especially since I do so much RPG stuff anyways, but if you are somebody who maybe doesn't or you want to get into putting content out or you want tons of content to look at, definitely look at RPG a day. It's super interesting, you know, and there's prompts there so you can be inspired. Lots of good stuff there. I was just actually listening to Evil Jeff's latest one, so a lot of people do it a week at a time or 10 days at a time, which I'm not sure. Is that is it still RPG a day if you do that? I think it is by the rules, but Yeah, you know who's doing it every day though? Joe Richter over to Hindsight List, so check that out, because those are great.
1: Hey Daniel, Jason here. Just watched or listened to your Dungeon Procedural video that you released, and very cool. I really enjoyed that, and I think the interesting part is the idea that following the procedure frees you up, frees your imagination up to do other things. So it's actually a benefit in that immersion and and imagining the setting and and imagining all the work and this other stuff because your mind's freed up. And I think that's really interesting because there's two ways of looking at this I've seen from solo players. There's either the procedural which is basically what you described in that method and then I've also seen some people that want to minimize the mechanics mechanisms as much as they can. So they'll make a, a single die roll and then keep telling their story. And it's a that is more of a wanting to almost tell a novel, but having the dice help them decide turns the novel. And I know that's not a great way to describe it. I talked about one of those systems on a podcast a while back where it's really super-duper light rules, and you minimize rolling, and your characters pretty much either survive fights or don't. And the idea is to concentrate on the storytelling and only roll dice when you get stuck and I don't think either of these is a wrong way to play solo I just think it's very interesting that the way to play solo can vary so much right but both uh, that method and the procedural method that you're you're talking about in your video are you know they, they both work and both methods the intent is to free up your imagination which is really cool and obviously some people are going to click with one some people are going to click with the other and that's okay neither way is wrong you know i've been watching slash listening to matt jackson's videos now he's started putting up another season of his solo play it's really interesting the way he does it he's taken white box fantasy and really drilled it down to where characters have like one attribute they have plus one in and that's anything on their character sheet and you know simplified some things um And and it's really interesting. I think his game, if you watch his video, especially like maybe video two and three, or maybe three, would benefit from the dungeon board game cards you were talking about before and be able to just pull a card out for that monster and have all the information right on that monster card. And I think that would be a benefit to solo play too. So really, really cool stuff. Uh, We've been talking about it a little bit over on the Hobbs and Friends Discord as well. So quick plug for Jason Hobbs there. But yeah, great video though, really appreciate it, and it, you know, get your mind going. Me personally, I am more of a procedural guy, but I'm not sure how much crunch I want in my procedure, if that makes sense. I think I could get by with the, you know, just one stat, or maybe a handful of stats, and the monster information on the, mon- on a, you know, on the card, the monster card. I think I can get away with that, but I still want the procedural structure and the rolling on tables and all that to to help me frame the story but i'm not a very imaginative guy so maybe that's why i want to cling to the structure i don't know Uh, but anyway sorry to ramble on just thought it was interesting got my mind going as i was driving home from work so talk to you soon
0: so again that was jason from the nerds rpg variety cast if i didn't say that already. Lots of great stuff there to unpack. He's, again, referring to my YouTube channel. I did a video on dungeon procedure. Uh, I've got some more coming, so a little teaser there. And yeah, I agree. I think that it can free you up. And when you are new to it, and one of the reasons why I made those videos is we're getting a lot of people coming from, let's say, a more modern versions of the game, more, more specifically 5th edition, with the changes with the new one coming out and just, you know, OSC blowing up and being in everybody's face. So you're really getting people coming over and a lot of people will start playing and they look at it and they go, oh yeah, it's D&D, but I have less spells and I'm weaker and they just play it the way they've been playing. And they don't sit down and look at those procedures or they do and they go, oh, oh, that's not fun. That's a list of things to do. But the thing is, once you internalize those procedures, once they become part of what you do, then you just kind of do it. Like when I'm running fifth edition or I'm running any game, really, I'm always kind of working through this clock in my head on this procedure of how we move forward. And it's interesting because my understanding, and I do not have it, so I cannot confirm this, is that Shadow Dark works on that kind of a thing. Even out of combat, it's got this very like, turn-based. I, I'm not a big fan of each individual character taking a turn outside of combat because think that, that potentially could slow things down, but Shadow Dark people let me know. But I like the idea of it being turn-based. Like people are constantly thinking about the turns. What are we doing? What are we doing? And this is it. And everybody's just moving forward. And once you get into a rhythm of it, you forget that you're following an exact procedure. And the thing is, if you do start to stumble, you've got that right there in front of you. As to Matt Jackson, yes, I've been. That's probably why I think I mentioned already earlier that you sent me the little character sheet. Yes, it's great. Uh, I love Matt's solo play. He has this amazing way of doing his oracle. It's just fantastic. If you watch my actual play, I basically use his Oracle. I just don't necessarily talk about it as much. Like, he really kind of, like, thinks it out. And I I never think when I'm playing, (laughs) which is why the characters always die. But, yeah, so he has a great Oracle system. It's super simple. I've read multiple different, like, solo Oracle things that are pages long and books long. And they're cool, and there's lots of good information there, especially if you're looking for story beat prompts. But if you just want to know where to move forward and you have an idea. I love the way that he does the Oracle. So uh, yeah, Matt's Oracle is amazing. Okay, what else? So I guess that's just about it. I appreciate everyone who called in. Oh, uh, I will put links. I think I've tried to make notes as we're talking here. So he mentioned um, Hobbs. So I'll try to put a link to Hobbs and friends. That's a, uh, I'm not part of that Discord server. I think I probably should be. It seems like a cool place, but nobody's ever invited me. Um, but, I, but I do listen to the show. Uh, Jason Hobbs. So they, uh, I say Hobbs and friends, but I say that because I have an old zine that's Hobbs and friends of the OSR. It's like a paper zine one of my friends gave me and I'm 99% sure that's the same Jason Hobbs. I probably should ask him. But um, anyways, Random Screed is the the podcast I listen to anyways. Okay, so we're wrapping up here. If you would like to be on the show, you can go ahead and call in. We are almost 40 minutes. I said I was going to talk about Gen Con. I will just talk about it very briefly, and then maybe we'll jump in again. In fact, call in and let me know which of these adventures you'd like me to get more in-depth on. I will try to keep this less than five minutes. Well, a piece. <laughs> okay, so Thursday, Game 1, In Search of King Arneson's Minds. I had not run this before. Oftentimes at cons, I run games I've never run before. Shh, don't tell anybody. And what I did was I made nine, no, ten actually, little uh, markers with letters on them, and I created uh, nine, ten, really, because the mines, locations. I then put these markers upside down on the board and shuffled them around so I didn't even know which one was which, and I scattered them amongst the map. The players came in at a random corner. They had supplies. They had so much time. They needed to figure out which of these areas was King Arneson's Mines, which was not. Get to the mine, hopefully get to the bottom, get a bunch of treasure. So in effect, and I told them this when we first started, I'm like, you might not even find the mines if you're not fast enough. So you can't hesitate too much. Now I will say it took them like 15 minutes to make their first move. And just by an incredibly luck of a wandering monster, good role play, a good situation. They literally located the mines immediately, which I did not think was going to happen so they were able to get there and actually get pretty deep into it once they were in the mines I was using uh, OD d with chainmail all the combats were fantasy combat it was amazing to see the look on the character the first character's face who got incinerated in the first round against a chimera and then the characters well the player's face when they killed the chimera in one hit the next round so <laughs> it was pretty amazing and uh, that was super fun great group if you're in that group thank you so much all right day two I ran. Do Space Dragons Breathe Fire. This is a game I've run multiple times in multiple ways. This is the one that I was using the dungeon board game idea. It worked absolutely perfectly. I will 100% do this again next time. Of course, (laughs) I found some holes in the thing because there were some situations where basically the party was clever and was able to make the enemies fight each other, which I had not figured out numbers for. So on the fly, I made a ruling Like versus like is the same number, nine. So basically, that's how I handled that. And I will do it in the future. I'll make a note. But that's fantastic. I plan on making little monster cards and stuff and getting it a little more fancy. That one I love doing because it's very hands-on. I use uh, pipe cleaners and glow sticks and little miniatures of different sizes. And I keep it really loose. So everybody had a great time. I actually had one of the players see me later in the con and come up to me and be like, man, that game was so fun. So that's always a good feeling. Day three, Goblin's Gate. Oh, it's called "In Defense of Goblin's Gate." By the way, I am changing the name of this one. So, if you're playing with me in Garycon, it is now going to be called "Defend the Gates of Gax." So, I'm trying to give a little guy Gax and a little Arneson If you got got me, and uh, this one is fun because you're you they, they get in high level OD&D with chainmail, they dive into a very dangerous uh, tomb. Short, you know, it's a short dungeon crawl about two hours to get a very powerful magic item that's at the bottom. One, if they can get this magic item and they bring it to the top, they then battle, or uh, literally, like I use two millimeter miniatures and I set up a large chainmail battle. And based on how long they took to do it, they get a certain number of enemies has already got on the field and has progressed a certain like many inches towards the the final destination. I will say, <laughs> this time I made the field a little bit bigger, which actually gave the player characters a little bit of an advantage on some level that they didn't have last time, which was the last time, my flying enemies were able to get to them really quickly and like lock them down. So I get to move my troops faster. But this time they were further away, so they got to maneuver better. And the uh the person in charge of with the help, you know, the group kind of worked together in charge of the uh the the light, I think they were a medium horse were able to uh use charging to an incredible effect. Cause I did not, this is one thing I noticed I'm gonna have to use it next year. I did not use the uh, exhaustion uh, rules, which I will definitely use because they used charging a little bit too much and that made it go a little bit too easy. But even still, they ran almost fully to the end and the party did succeed by a major. This is what war games are great for, right? It wasn't by numbers. It was they basically took out the leader and a massive failure in morale broke the enemy. And basically they had only taken out like 10% of the enemy when they won because most of them retreated back. So that was pretty awesome. And finally, on day four, I ran Boot Hill, uh, the good, the bad, and the orcish. This I ran with 15 millimeter and a 7-2 scale, which I guess is 25 millimeter. Somebody will correct me. Maybe it's 20 millimeter. Uh, models: the orcs, who are the player characters, got to play the slightly. I used the slightly larger miniatures, and the smaller miniatures were dwarves. So I had gotten these miniatures, you know, all on horses, and it was it was really fun. That was a two-hour game. I thought it would go super fast because, you know, Boot Hill, it's very deadly. But it turns out they it ended up being a—we had to count up, like, living figures at the end to decide who won because they actually didn't complete it. Like, there was no decisive victory in that sense. Like, one side didn't wipe the other side out. What I did do there is I had the famous K.R. King from Monsters and Treasure uh, come and play the bad guys. And then I had the players play, you know, the orcs. I think next year I'm going to just break the group into two groups. One group's going to play half, you know, the the orcs and the other one's going to play the dwarves. Because I think in a miniature skirmish game, people don't mind the little bit of like player versus player. I was a little nervous that people wouldn't like that, but they were totally into it. And uh, if I run this one again, which I probably will because I painted all those miniatures, uh, it'll be, I'll definitely, um, I'll definitely do that. But what's cool about this is now I have 30, I believe, mounted and 30 foot footmen uh, for cowboys. So I can do all kinds of boot hill. I had never run it with miniatures before, even though I know boot hill originally was a miniatures game. We always ran it theater of the mind. We always ran it more like, you know, cowboys having fist fights and bars and gambling. I never ran it. That's like gunfights. And it was so fun to do. And what the great part about these games is that I just had amazing players, and that's really it, right? When when you go to a con, you're you're there's something special about that. I think nowadays it's it's easy. We're in a golden age, as they say, where you can jump online and roll twenty and be like, I want to play Marvel superheroes or Pathfinder or D and D five e or O D and and you'll find a group. And I think that you get a lot of this. Uh, some people, not everybody, obviously, you can get people that just are kind of like, whatever, I can play whenever I want. So it's not a big deal. But at cons, people really feel like I'm at a con. I'm, I'm in it. We're playing. And it, there's a different energy, right? It's like the same energy you get with your close friend group, not the randos in, online that we sometimes encounter. So I had fallen back from playing much online with random people, and I couldn't really put my finger on why. And I think that's why. So now I, you know, as I said at the beginning of this, I played online with some great players, and I think maybe using the Discord server and people that I've interacted with and I've heard them call into shows and stuff like that—that's maybe a better deal. But the people that you just jump on roll twenty and jump into a random game—I just don't think that that's for me anymore. I think that finding a group that at least you have some idea of their priorities, your priorities, will make for a better game. The com was awesome. If you want to hear about either any of those games, "In Search of King Arson's minds, like a real breakdown of it. Guarding the Gates of Gax, or Goblin's Gate, the good, the bad, the Orkish, or do Space Dragons wear, uh, wear? Do Space Dragons wear anything, really? Do Space Dragons breathe fire? Let me know, as I said, if you are part of the Patreon. At the adventurer level, I am making these into adventures for you guys, so you'll be able to have copies of them that you can run for your groups, and I would love, or at cons, maybe, you know? <laughs> do whatever you like with it. It'll be yours. You can do what you want, just like they say about od d So I would love to hear from anybody who'd like to call in, like these fine callers, go ahead and look in the show notes. You've got a link to the Spotify way to call in. You've got a link to my Discord server, to which you could send me a message if you sign up there. I'm also on Clerics Wear Ringmail. I'm on the Audio Dungeon Discord. I'm on Grizzly Peaks. I'm on Adorama, which is probably irrelevant to this, but I'm not on Hobbs and Friends or Hobbs or whatever the server is. So now see how I feel bad about that? See how I'm feeling bad there, Hobbs? Anyways. <laughs> Given a hard time, but go ahead and reach out to me there. That's cool. You could also send me an email, uh, banditskeep at gmail.com, and that will give me an excuse to check my email as opposed to the random, you know, spams that I get from, you know, princes that need me to send them money uh, orders over so they can then give me a million dollars when they get here. Wow, that was a lot. We're just about at 50 minutes as I'm recording it, but I'm sure I'll cut some of this out so we might not quite get there. But either way, it's a pretty good achievement. If I can talk for 50 minutes straight, that means I haven't lost my breath too much. I'm not too much of an old man. I'll talk to you soon.